my daughter is super into listening to podcasts as she goes to bed, especially. And uh, so podcasts are like a new thing mm-hmm. for them right now. And so whenever I mention like, oh, this time in particular, I was like, oh, I'm recording a podcast tonight. They're all like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, when I do my video call with my friends, it's, you know, it's a podcast. And David was like, don't you always say it's, it'd be boring to listen to? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Kids don't understand like, no, most of, most of what I do in life is boring. <laughs> like, like most of all the podcasts I listen to, the thing, the activities I do is all boring and it's great. Album Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast in which we decide upon a theme, recommend records that fit that theme, and then meet back up to share our thoughts. I'm Joey Albin. I'm Darvel Hurlbutt. And I'm James Doyle. All right. So now we can get into the album. So again, this is Willow and... Like I mentioned last time, I did cheat here because these are basically, well, they are her singles from her Coping Mechanism album that came out in 2021, but we've done a uh, live at Electric Lady, there we go, before, so I felt okay cheating again. Sorry, the album came out in 2022. I'm in taxes, so we're always a year behind. Anyway. (laughs) So yeah, I'm really curious. I know I brought this up with Joey already a little bit. I'm really curious what you knew of Willow before listening to this album and then your reaction to this. I'm going to keep calling it an album, even though it's technically like a little live EP. We mentioned this at the end of last episode, but I knew her as the daughter of her famous parents who released the song uh, I with my hair back and forth that I remember when that song came out, it was like, do people like this song or is this like, Oh, it's so cute that Will Smith's nine-year-old daughter has a song. Like I, I don't, and then like, I wasn't friends with people who would like that song anyway. So like I was very, it was mostly just kind of something I knew about that was happening. So, but other than that, that is literally it. And that was in what, like 2010, nine, when that song came out? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, over the past 10 years, nothing. So I was, I was in a, a bit of an interesting position because I knew there was an artist named Willow playing pop punk at festivals over the course of the past couple of years. I did not realize that was Willow Smith. So that was when, when you mentioned Whip My Hair, I was very confused. It, it, it was it was like a, a very, like I didn't I didn't know those were the same people. So um, I think I was less surprised by the content of the album because I like I said I had seen some of the acts associated with Willow, but the the fact that it was who it was was more surprising to me. So I bumped into this album when we were prepping for our first round of albums, and it was just you know 
favorite or best of 2022. And I was like, I only know like two albums that (laughs) have come out this year. And so I was like just Googling like top rock albums, 2022, top indie albums, and just kind of going through and listening to them. And I bumped into Willow and again, not thinking Willow Smith went and was listening to it. And the first song is the first song on this live EP and uh, the Maybe It's My Fault. And I just immediately was like, I love this song. And it was like halfway through, there were like some images and stuff on the YouTube video that I was like, there's no way this is Willow Smith, right? <laughs> like there's no way. So I went and it was the middle of the night and I like wanted to wake up my wife to be like, <laughs> do you know what Willow Smith is doing? Like this is, and I, I'd be curious too, because I feel like Whip My Hair was released as like Willow Smith. Like that was the name mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was one thing that maybe happened with you, James, where having the artist Willow like didn't connect those two necessarily. Um, but yeah, same thing where I only knew Whip My Hair and was like, holy smokes, like this is completely different. But yeah, really enjoyed it. I was close to using it for one of the albums. The main reason I didn't was I loved the singles and a few other songs, but there was a l- more in their album that I didn't love. So again, when this popped up as like the singles, I was like, oh, sweet. This is too good to be true. But yeah, that was a pleasant surprise seeing what Willow's up to. Going back and kind of seeing her progression, anyone that has been following Willow Smith from Whip My Hair I don't think they would have been surprised by the sound because there definitely was that progression. And she did stuff with Avril Lavigne and Travis Barker, Machine Gun Kelly. And so I think if, again, you'd been following her, then this just made sense as the next step for her sound. Do you want to talk about your overall reaction to the album? Just a little taste before we hop into the tracks. This album brought up a couple of topics that might be interesting, might not be interesting. The first one is that uh, the recent discourse of the Nepo baby. I'm not familiar. These are the... Nepotism. Yeah, nepotism, children, and only getting their spot in the spotlight because of who they are and who they're tied to. And and this album just kind of further cemented my opinion of like, I know that Taylor Swift's dad took her to Nashville and bought like the record part of the record label that she was going to be on. I can't write songs as good as Taylor Swift. If I was <laughs> if I was put in that same situation, no one still would have ever heard of me. You know, like so so I did think that was interesting. I'm not sure if you guys had thoughts on that. Yeah, it's it's funny because like the whole one one element of that Nepo baby topic was people like everyone knows um some people are known because of who their parents are. Like people, you know, they have the same last name or like we watched them grow up or you know, whatever it is. I think there's also like another group of people where you look them up and you're like, oh, their dad was the president of BMI for 30 years. Or like you look them up and they're like, oh, their mom was the VP of uh, Shell Oil. You know, like like these kinds of things. And then it kind of cast their whole career in a certain light. It's weird because Willow's kind of almost in between because you cannot talk about her without acknowledging like her parents are both extremely famous. Her, her parents and her brother, both extremely famous, but she at least doesn't go by Willow Smith anymore. Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. I hadn't thought of that at all during this process, but it is 
just kind of the reality of it where there's definitely people that I feel like don't deserve the attention, but then there are the ones that it's like, well, yeah, you know, they were privileged with their situation to be put in this spot, but they're also talented and putting in the effort. And so, you know, again, like even if you have average Joe doing the same thing, they're not going to likely get the same spots because they don't have those same privileges. But thinking of it now, I, I feel like I'd put Willow in that category for me where I'm like, I'm okay that she's getting the attention and I'm hearing her music and enjoying it. Um, aside from, you know, I, I would probably put whip my hair in that category. Kind of like Joey was saying earlier, where it's like, I think the main re- like this is popular, not because it's a great song, but because it's Will Smith's daughter. And so I'd kind of separate them that way. Yeah. And, and I think there's also like a related thing of like, you know, anyone who spends time on TikTok or like whatever the current top social media platforms are, you start to, if you, when you pay attention, you start to realize like there are certain artists who you really start to feel the push behind them. So like the one me and some friends always joke about is wet leg where it's like, this was a band that was nothing and they're not good. And yet somehow they're in every commercial and every fifth video on TikTok has wet leg as the music. And then they're like a year into their career, like they're the house band for, you know, whatever award show. And and you, you start to almost smell like this is a marketing push that we are being subjected to. And I don't think, I don't know who their parents are. I don't feel like even with Willow having very notable parents, that that is the same with her. Like you, you don't feel like there's some guy in a suit, you know, doing the like MK ultra Manchurian candidate, like you must like Willow Smith subliminal messaging thing. It does feel slightly more organic if there are, if there even is such a concept as organic in the music industry. And I'm glad that you brought up the the concept of organic. Cause that was something else I wanted to kind of talk about with the, the recent pop punk revival there's this nebulous idea of authenticity in the punk scene. And it kind of happened in our youth with like, you know, green day blowing up and going mainstream and then blink 182 and some 41 and all the, all of the number bands, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like, well, it's not real punk. They, and you'd always have these people kind of try to like AFI very famously is like, you know, we came up in the, the West coast hardcore scene and they kind of got a pass, even though they were still on dreamworks and things yeah. like that. This album, even as a live album, is very, very slick and it's very well produced. I still was surprised at what I felt was the level of authenticity behind the music. See, we're probably going to get into it later, track by track, but that, I don't know. I, for me, I don't know if it was so much about authenticity as much as there's a something I'll probably reference a lot this episode is the concept of genre synthesis or maybe not even synthesis, but like accurately performing a genre of music versus genre like dilettantism is in like, Ooh, what a word. Yeah. I was about to say, I was like, you're, you're to break this down for us. So yeah. you, a dilettante is someone who dabbles in things. 
Like, okay. like if okay. you had a painter who like never really had their own style, but it's like this week I'm doing impressionism and next week I'm doing pointillism and next week I'm doing cubism and they managed to do it fine. But you, someone who really knows cubism is going to say, this is not what it is. I feel like this is ties into my whole master theory of zoomer music consumption. There is on this album a something that I think there is a lot of in Zoomer popular Zoomer music, which is a very surface level demonstration or exploration of a given genre of music, whether it's the whole, whether that's the whole album or, or if it's something like this album, which kind of is trying to put a lot of genres together. I feel like the metal parts never quite sound like I want them to sound as someone who listens to a lot of metal, the, the Neo soul stuff at the end never quite sounds enough Neo soul. Like there's, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little picky. So going back to like thoughts on the album before the track, I liked this album when I first listened to it. And then as I kept listening to it, I started liking it less and less and less. I think overall, I still like it, but I like it less now than when I first started. And I think it's because some little things kind of started to nag at me of like, that's not what I think should happen there. Like, (laughs) I I, I don't know. I don't know. I was in the opposite camp. Um, (laughs) I I like the album a lot and I I continue to like it more and more the more I listen to it. kind of like tying back into this like thing of authenticity. I, I've heard a lot of people write off these artists like um, like Machine Gun Kelly, we mentioned earlier and stuff like that. But it's like, I, I think that good songs, even when they are kind of appropriating these like samples of the genre and working them into new things can still fit alongside those things. I remember his song on the Tony Hawk remake, uh, My Bloody Valentine was, was slipped in to the soundtrack for Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. And I didn't notice it. Like, <laughs> when you're hearing the, the Tony Hawk soundtrack, over time, it was, it was a while before I was like, wait a second, this is Machine Gun Kelly. Now, don't get me wrong, as a person, I am not a Machine Gun Kelly fan at all. <laughs> I, I, I find him utterly revolting. But um, <laughs> th- that track, it like I said, it blends in very well. And I do have problems with some things on here. It's not a perfect album by any means. It, I would probably put it one notch above the gorillas record, like seven out of 10 <laughs> for me. Oh, wow. But it's also short enough. And, uh, Willow did a pretty good job of arranging just the bangers, like back to back to back in my opinion. So, yeah. And I'm, I've been loving the conversations happening already. That is the other reason why I picked this one, even with the cheat, because I was ready to go with the, uh, new Paramore album, but I felt like, I really wanted to discuss this one more than I want to discuss the Paramore one. So this is fun already. I'm excited to get more into it. <laughs> also, who has not talked about the new Paramore album right now? Like, I'm pretty sure every other music podcast has covered it. So there you go. Well, let's dive into the first track. is 
my favorite. It's also the first track of uh, her album. It's Maybe It's My Fault. I will say I am not a fan of all the cool track name officially has. Like, I don't even know what they're called. It's not the... It's not the parentheses, but like the greater than less than signs around maybe. Yeah, and all the and capitalizations. All and- yeah, it's like, <laughs> seems like this cool hip thing to do. And I'm like, keep it simple. Like, I don't want to be like, am I saying it wrong? Saying maybe it's my fault? Do I need to like whisper? Maybe it's my fault. Uh, Say anyway, it more mathematically. <laughs> but what do you guys think? Maybe it's my fault. I will say that. While the track overall is good, I think the the opening of this track is extremely weak and almost had me like turn off the record. Oh man! Right from the get go. So we talked a lot about singers throughout this podcast and how good singers have kind of a you know toolbox of sounds. the The highest example of this being you know we talked about um, Yeba, we talked about Will Ramos, we talked about Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria, where they can do all these crazy things with their voice and everything. Willow does a lot of different things with her voice on this record. And I would say there are some things that are achieved very well and some things that are not. The talk singing is not good. And unfortunately, that's how this opens up with that. You know, the at a party. It's like instantly I was like, if this is how the singing is on the album, I can't, (laughs) I can't do it. You're talking just that one line she does that way. Is that what you're talking about? It, it's not until uh, uh, never thought I'd be tripping. That's the first time oh, like okay. she actually sings. Okay, because she does do like the intro has that like like uh, version, but then it gets back into it. But even when she gets into it for real, you don't enjoy that. Yeah, okay, she's still not singing. She just to kind of it, it sounds like. <laughs> This is a mean thing to say. It sounds like a person at karaoke after they've had a few too many. <laughs> and, and they're just kind of like like lilting through the song. And you hear the pitch, but it's like, you're not really, you're not really hitting it. I don't know. I had never noticed that. But listening to it right now, I understand exactly what you're saying. Obviously, it did not bother me. I'm curious if as I continue listening to it like <laughs> over the next few days or weeks, if now I'm, it's like thanks thanks james way yeah, to go Ruined if we do a, if we do a recap album it's just going to be all all of us disliking all the albums because we've all ruined them all for each other <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i'll just go ahead and say it now i'm gonna make this reference on almost every track track i listened to this album a few times and then i went and listened to like the studio regular album ones and gosh she has such mush mouth on this album. I Darvel made this comment about a different album, but I'll go ahead and say it for this one. I had an easier time understanding Will Ramos lyrics than some of the lyrics on this <laughs> album. And like, that's not the case on the studio ones on the studio ones. You can really, she sings very, um, with good support, good enunciation. This, do you remember how, um, Ariana Grande used to sing where like, all the vowels were the same sound and there were no mm. plosives and it, it like vocal teachers. I didn't make this word up. They call it mush mouth. Like where you sing, it's kind of in the back of your mouth rather than spitting the words out. You kind of chew on the words and that's this song does it a little bit. It's worse on some other songs. Like I even wrote out some like phonetic <laughs> versions of what it sounds like she's saying. Um, but 
it's something I did notice about this that I was really curious to go listen to the the studio version and see like is this just how she she sings is this his album and it was and was kind of surprised like oh no she she is very capable of singing very clearly and and su- with good support so this album the vocals they're I think overall they're very good and technically pretty impressive vocals for a lot of it but like the I had a really hard time understanding the lyrics for most of the album and because she uses this lots of people do this this weird modern british california affect a little bit like the the first time i remember hearing it do you remember that song uh shake shake by uh oh gosh it's miley cyrus's brother no and that band oh yeah shake 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 a shake it yeah and there's a line in the song he's like he, where he says, when you do me like that. And I'm like, dude, you are from Nashville by way of Los Angeles. Like, what on earth are you saying? Like, and there's a little bit of that on this album where it's like, what, what accent is that supposed to be? <laughs> I think California people kind of develop these weird insular ways of talking. It's Metro Station, by the way. There you go. Metro Station. That's the one. Shake it. It's interesting hearing these comments. I think I'm curious. Because I did listen to the studio album, it's especially these singles, except for the last one, Split. But the other four, I've heard half a dozen to a dozen plus times before this live EP released. And so I wonder if I was, you know, already, like I had heard the lyrics clearly, so I didn't realize I wasn't hearing them as well during this one. And I've listened to it a few more times, just the beginning of the first verse after James pointing out that kind of, I mean, yeah, like a little drunken slur karaoke sound. And uh, it's interesting. I, I, It doesn't bother me. I'm fine with it. And I am curious how much of, I mean, imagine some of it has to be, you know, a choice, like you were mentioning, Joey, where rather than just singing this nice, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a, you know, karaoke slur drunk sound. And, uh, have that be my style for this part. And uh, the interesting thing for me is I've listened to a lot of YouTube opinions on music. And I feel like I hear a lot of people being like, we want something different. We want something unique. We want people to take risks and go for it. And then when you get stuff like this, people are like, this sucks. I hate this. Why are you seeing <laughs> like that? And so it's, but at the same time, like it's a risk because some of them don't work. And so this may just be a scenario of it's like, if she was making this choice to use this style, she took that risk and it didn't work for James. Well, so. again, it's not just like that one isolated incident on this album. Even on this one at the end, uh, she has the screaming on, on there. Mm-hmm. And every instance of the screaming on here really really bothered me because she did it with the like talk box military radio effect yeah that, like yeah. it's a it effected yeah and, and it's it's overly distorted and everything and like the cool thing about screaming is if you're screaming into a dynamic mic there is a distortion that happens naturally and so why why include it if you're not going to do it right you know and you're going to do this weird kind of thing that approximate it's like when when the emo revival was happening and the people who couldn't scream would do like the like inward singing kind of like yeah. the wah, wah, wah sound. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you're, you're not singing like, or you're not screaming. We could tell like you're, you're still like walking around the stage. Like 
so that was another one. And then the last one, I don't think is on this track. So I'll come back to that one later. So uh, this is true for a lot of the songs on this album where the song, I will say, this is a cool song. Like the melodies, the, the harmonic content, like the chord progressions, like I would say probably every song is like a really cool, solid song that I would also say is greater. It's the, the sum of the parts is much greater than any one thing because for each individual thing, it is easy to kind of say like, like in this song, for example, I hate the guitar tone. It's mm-hmm. like bad Marshall that isn't loud enough guitar tone where it's like, dude, do like every other person in this genre and use a fractal, use a Kemper, like new, a neural cortex, any of these things that everyone in this genre is using now, instead of like this kind of fizzy thin sound. However, I don't Man, think it, I, det- it detracts from the overall song though. That blows me away. Cause I love the guitar <laughs> sound. Like, and that's part of like, when I first turned this on, I was like, Oh shoot. That's like, whenever I, an old bassist I worked with and Percy and the prefects, he, I'm terrible with like getting guitars to sound the way I want, you know, working with the amps and the pedals and everything. And so he would be like, go listen to stuff that you like the sound and I can help you kind of get that sound. And like, this is a sound that I would be like, I want my guitar to sound like this. So that's, uh, that's just interesting yeah. that and you point that out. I should be <laughs> more like specific. I'm saying that's terrible. Not in like an objective way. I think when I really, if I'm really trying to be more careful about how I'm saying it, the kind of guitar playing that this song uses evokes certain artists for me. And those are Devin Townsend and Dream Theater. The kind of like open, harmonically rich, chord progression based, not just like metal chugga chugga, but like there's actually notes. And like the big epic vocals, I'm thinking... Yeah, like Devin Townsend came up a lot for me in this album. Like this sounds like a Devin Townsend project or a Strapping Young Lag album, which I love those, both of those. And there's a certain guitar tone I associate with that kind of playing, which is like a very rich, thick, smooth, probably a Mesa Boogie style guitar sound. And this is like a thin Marshall sound that I would more associate with like Van Halen or something. So I don't want to say, I shouldn't say it's a bad guitar tone because it's actually a very good guitar tone, but I would maybe say an inappropriate guitar tone or less appropriate guitar tone. See, I, I actually agree with you the first time that it's a bad guitar tone (laughs) to to, to me. it, It sounds like, do you remember when Marshall started making solid state amps? Yeah. The MG series. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. It doesn't sound like an actual like saturated tube sound. It sounds like garage bands I played in where someone had like a crappy BC rich guitar plugged into like an MG Marshall mm-hmm. that sounded bad because it's not a real tube amp. To me it was distracting. It didn't fit the texture like you said, but it was also just not a good guitar sound in my opinion. Now, the album version of the song has a much better guitar. It's still a different guitar sound than I would choose. It's very martially, but it is like a produced multi-track sounding guitar. Yeah, I don't agree. I think it <laughs> right on the money. Way to go, guitar person choosing that sound. 
So here's, I've got another rhythm nerd question. This is another thing where it's like, that is different than what I would expect for someone who is referencing chugga chugga metal stuff. So the beat in the, I guess you'd call it, I don't know, where the guitar is really chugging. It's not the chorus. It's either the pre or the post chorus. I don't remember. Yeah, like, I'll, like, the like slowed down. It's like one Iana, two Iana, and a triplet, triplet. It's like, there's a weird, the very, very last part where I think the closest way you could notate it is a triplet with the middle note missing, which is not a very precise rhythm to do when you're fought, when you're preceding it with duple stuff. Like I would think it'd be a one E and a two E and a, and a triplet. It's, it's a messy rhythm for me. And once again, this is like little picky stuff that really does not affect the song. Cause I think the song is a strong song, but when you zoom in a little bit, you st- I start to find some of this stuff. Hmm. I think that's interesting too. That, specific moment was the first time I noticed the guitar mm-hmm. like as being something I didn't appreciate in the way that it sounded mm-hmm. um, and I think it's that there's like no it's a very prominent texture that's mixed too loud over a lot of empty space for something that articulate of a rhythm it sounds very muddy mm-hmm. I think it also is because it doesn't have kick drum doubling it mm-hmm which you would normally be would be a pretty common thing to do. So I did a little deep, not a deep, deep dive, but somewhat of a deep dive. I realized, I think I really don't like Chris. I think you say his name Griotti. Hmm, he is the producer. Pro- the producer for this. He also played one of the two g- guitars, but here is what he's worked on. Young blood, Eve tumor, willow, poppy, the new Blink-182 stuff, and I hate all of that. <laughs> Not Willow. I don't hate Willow. <laughs> but like, I think all of those artists, if you told me, hey, the guy from that, oh, he also worked with Machine, Machine Gun Kelly. Like A guy involved with all that, he's doing the guitars and making a lot of the musical decisions on this Willow EP. I'd say, oh, that's probably why I have some weird problems with some of it. That's a that's a weird lineup of records because some of those have good production mm-hmm. and some of those have very bad production. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, the Machine Gun Kelly record, the track that he does with Halsey is a freaking amazing song. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not sure if it's just Halsey and their contribution to the track and maybe they got behind the, the mixing console and were, le- were like, this is how this is going to be. But like, that's a great pop song. It is extremely, extremely well done. And I like some Youngblood stuff too, but there is also a couple of Youngblood selections that are fall into this category. The new Bleak 182 single is awful. Mm-hmm. And he should feel bad about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, when I say, I don't know if he literally did the newest. I mean, he did, he worked with Blink-182 in the past like five years. I think it was the 2019 album Heaven or something like that. That he worked on with them. Okay. Is it 10? Is that the name of the record? Let's see. Maybe I have the wrong words here. I I, I think Heaven's a track on it. Nine oh. is the the credit he has. Nine? Sorry, uh-huh. I was off by a number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I like this song. 
I think it's a cool song. It has kind of like a, if you've ever listened to Japanese metal, it has that vibe to me a little bit or, or Devin Townsend project is very similar. It was the one that I sung the most like throughout the week. Yeah. Like I, I, I would, me too. That, the, 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 ba, ba, da, ba, yeah. that like little part. Yeah. Let's stick it by head quite a bit. How'd you feel about the, uh, like the outro? We get kind of a big shift in the sound there. I liked it until the screaming. <laughs> Yeah, I I liked it. I think it was was cool. I I think I think I wanted the guitar to do more interesting stuff in that part. I, I don't think anything the guitar did was bad or, or anything. Well, and that was interesting. I thought the guitar tone there fit great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that part of the song. It's almost like a like a Deftones esque kind of moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a lot. There's a lot of Deftones type stuff on this, I would say, and, and mm-hmm. on her other recordings. I think that's probably the first thing that we've said on this podcast that's going to get angry mail. No, I, 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 I bet that? I'm going to Google right now. Willow Deftones. I bet other people have said that. See, wh- Willow Smith says Deftones Chino Marino is a huge influence. And she covered my own yeah. summer. Shove it. So there you go. Yeah, I actually don't know what Deftones sounds like. Never really listened to them. But uh, just from reading stuff about this, there were a few references to Deftones. So that's why I gave my mm-hmm when you mentioned them. <laughs> Another thing to mention on this, going back to kind of the effects used on the voice, uh, you get a little bit of that like tape effect on the pre-chorus. The uh, I don't know how I can forgive you. And I think in the studio album, it's like a even more potent effect. And that bugged me. I was like, just do it without the effect. Like, I, <laughs> But I, I think it was less on this live one. And so it didn't bug me as much. Or maybe I just got used to it. But then, yeah, like you were saying with the screaming, I feel like the, the good effects that come from screaming get lost when you're throwing on those effects to distort them. But going back to the outro, the thing for me that just, again, going back to the first night that I heard this and was like, there's no way this is Willow Smith, right? It just like the idea that whip my hair Willow Smith would have an album with more guitar solos than any album I'll ever create like blew my <laughs> mind. <laughs> and and not just guitar, I mean, and I want to talk about this later too, but like with Olivia Rodrigo, you know, there's lots of guitars and stuff in there and it's like, oh, guitar-driven music working its way back into mainstream and like if someone told me Willow had like a rock album, I would assume it would fall more in that category mm-hmm. where I do feel like this is much more like, oh, this is like a deeper level of getting into kind of more of the metal um, and things there. And so, yeah, having the outro with that guitar coming into that line, which, you know, like you said, Joey, wasn't anything terribly interesting for you. But just the fact that it was on this Willow track was like, whoa, OK, this is. Not at all what I'm going to be expecting here. Before we move on to the next track, I do want to say I do appreciate the fact that like, if you're doing something on the record, taking the time to reproduce it on the live recording, I think is, is really admirable. And especially not doing it with, you know, backing tracks and samples, but recreating everything live. So having the second microphone prepared with the effects and things like that, like great showmanship worthy of of commendation 
I just don't like the choices stylistically that were made. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's interesting you mentioned that because that's something I've always struggled with where when I'm uh, recording and editing, it's easy for me to throw in stuff that I'm like, I don't feel like it's worth putting this in the live one. And so I think that's an interesting discussion too of just the opinion of is it worth putting in that effort to match the album or do people prefer having kind of the different feels of it, you know, video versus theater feel. But anyway, the other thing, last thing I wanted to mention with this is uh, the lyrics. So this was another reason I didn't choose the Willow studio album for my 2022 album uh, or one of them was I feel like a lot of these songs just fall in kind of like a angsty young adult relationship category that again I haven't even gone through and read all the lyrics or like paid attention listening to them but I mean even just the idea of here like maybe it's my fault it's your fault is just kind of like I'm a 34 year old man I don't want to <laughs> be listening to songs about this but at the same time I'm not saying it's wrong because I mean she is a young adult dealing with you know these different emotions and things and so it just a whole album of it I was like okay i Again, I don't listen to the whole studio album, and I think that's one of the reasons, is that just the, the content isn't necessarily where hitting for me. Curious slash furious. Again, another complaint there, but whatever. Yeah, this one is on the radio since I'm the radio resource here. So uh, this one's playing on the alternative rock station. Heard it quite a few times. Joey, what? How do you feel about this song? Uh, I like this song. This is where I will give an example of the Mushmouth, which is she consistently on this song says on my yun instead of on my own no 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 on my yun no 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 like and like she uses the same vowel on my yun for those three words which when we're talking are three different vowels <laughs> uh but yeah no the song the song is 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 good um i think what's cool about this song is if you can kind of do some like play pretend in your mind and, and like kind of start swapping out other alt women, alt rock singers, like you mentioned, Olivia Rodrigo, uh, Haley from Paramore, any of these people. And like, kind of imagine like if they were singing this song, you could probably, they would all sound probably do this song kind of similarly. And I think what's Willow does a lot of really interesting vocal stuff on this song, like really almost like, if you remember what Gwen Stefani used to do when she was still doing more ska type stuff with no doubt, like real, like trilly high range stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I think the vocals are, are she attempts and largely accomplishes some like pretty interesting vocal strategies on this song. 
I hadn't thought about that, but you know, listening to it and especially thinking, imagining like a this being done by a alt rock performer, I definitely agree. This was my favorite track on the record, and a lot of it comes down to the arrangement of the song. A lot of ways of taking minimal material and making it new each time. I I also noticed what Joey was talking about with the un hum like, <laughs> but. It, to to me that I thought that was kind of like what you're referencing with like the the British California thing earlier. Yeah, I don't know what what the origins are, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I, I like that build up there, and you know, it's like okay, we're gonna go into the chorus, and it does go to the chorus, but with this like the clicks and the you know everything dropped out underneath, and just the guitar and vocals, and then when it finally comes in. It's like we talked about with the Gorillaz record on Cracker Island, where it's like that delay makes the arrival so much more satisfying when it hits. Yeah. And then the second time, you know, they have the the more building the drums. There's like a little bit more ornamentation in the fills on the toms and stuff like that. And yeah, changing the vocal stylings, everything. I just the arrangement is very, very well done and kept me engaged throughout the entirety of the song. Also, in terms of lyrics, I, I found this one to be like the least bad <laughs> I, I can't think of a better way to say it it felt like there was a little bit more thought on here rather than rhyming mine and fine together as she does on two other tracks coming up <laughs> i did not notice the on my own but again that's probably something that's going to make me like this less every time i listen to it from now on so going back to this thing with I think there is a fundamental shift in how younger audiences understand genre than people our age or older. If music has always been something in your life that you have an endless access to all of it, that's how you consume it. Whether you go out and look for stuff or whether it's algorithmic, you know, from Pandora or people's TikTok audio, whatever it is, that like you don't have to focus on a genre like you can literally listen to all music all the time anything you want i think there's a weird thing because you can you kind of start collecting genres like pokemon or something and it's not so much like i like pop punk no i like these songs that are pop punk songs and i should clarify i don't mean to say any of this is like wrong or bad or anything like i think it's just a big difference whereas like i'm sure all of us growing up it was like what kind of music do you like and you'd say i like metal or i like rap or whatever and it's like that implied certain things you did and didn't like and i think that's broken down a little bit but i also think it has led to one this kind of like dabbling phenomenon a little bit I also think it has led to genre being a little bit like something the same way guitar players get in the habit of like how many notes I can play. You start to see like artists, like how many genres can I play? I was telling Julie the other day, if I were to see a musician like, Hey, we're looking for a bass player to join our band. And it was like, we play metal, ska, funk, soul, jazz, Tejano. <laughs> I would say this band is not serious. Like, because it would be the rare musician who could genuinely do a good job playing all of these genres, let alone fuse them in any sort of way. Whereas I think given the popularity of a band like 100 Gex or maybe this EP, I think that's not necessarily true with younger audiences who are like, ooh, cool, they're doing a ska thing now. Ooh, cool, they're doing a metal thing now. Like, that's neat. 
Whereas I think that's at best like a neutral thing to kind of jukebox style your music. And, and sometimes at worst, it can be like, yeah, but you're not doing any of these genres all that great. It's like something I keep thinking about with like younger audiences and, and the concept of genre. That's for like the album as a whole though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, because I think this track in particular, again, going back to the arranging comment, does that the least. Yeah. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. You can, uh, when you edit this, James, you can move that whole thing to wherever you want to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you're right. This, this track is a pretty straightforward one. When you were going in that comment though, my mind immediately went to Hyperpop and 100 Gex, mm-hmm. Char- Charlie XCX mm-hmm. with some of the earlier stuff they were doing. So, yeah. And I, it's interesting hearing that because I think I fall somewhere in the middle ground. My theory is a lot of that shifted when iTunes came around and it wasn't so much getting albums as it was just getting singles mm-hmm. and then that bleeding into streaming. And so, you know, because before, if you wanted to listen to, 10 songs in a row that were not the same genre, you had to put in a decent amount of effort to create that. And where now it just, that's what happens automatically. But I do feel like I'm kind of in the middle there where I don't recognize genre. And I mean, if anything, I probably fall more towards the category you're describing of the, you know, younger way of seeing genre where for me it's like oh these are kind of all similar you know they all have their guitar driven songs with the rock beat you know this kind of all blends together and i don't really know what i'm doing but i'm just doing what sounds and feels good for me when i'm writing stuff and uh that yeah i imagine if you tore apart what i was doing there would be a lot of like oh yeah he's although i don't think i hop around as much as like what we hear in this album but yeah that's interesting And I think there's like a subtle but important distinction between like synthesizing genres and combining genres or like kind of concatenating, stacking genres. Like, for example, there's this metal band, Diablo Swing Orchestra, who plays, the only way I can describe it is like swing metal. Like it sounds, it's like the forms and melodies of big band, but with like giant distorted guitars and a trap set and it sounds awesome like it works they're somehow mashing those things together whereas i think the other version of it would be bands that just kind of now for our funk song now for our metal song and i, I think you're in your mm-hmm. songs darvel you, you do a good job of like synthesizing some stuff together um that's that's a really challenging thing to do when you brought up albums though it did remind me like I think there was a comedian, I don't remember who it was, I don't who's talking about, you know all the now albums, like now 17 that were on TV and they were like that's just for people who are like I think I want to buy some music. Like <laughs> like I don't <laughs> like I don't really know what what kind of music I like, but I'd like music, so one music please and like <laughs> now you have 18 tracks of music <laughs> and like I feel like So there's always been this thread of like enjoying a wide range of music. And so I don't mean to say like, that's weird that Zoomers like more than one kind of music. I mean, more like within an artist, like if there was one artist who did all the now songs, you know, like it would be like, I think Mm. that artist does some of these songs better than some of, and some of them much worse. And I think, I I don't know. I don't know. No, I think you're on to like a really good point here. And this kind of goes, you know, we talked about, I'm trying to remember the 
is art upstream or downstream of yeah culture, culture yeah yeah or vice versa and, and i i do wonder how much of this music being affected is the result of the algorithms that are feeding social media right now because like if you look at metal as a genre right now like the two most popular singles on tiktok at least as like as of like a month ago were the song by sleep token where they have the like funky soul breakdown in the middle of it yeah and then a ghost single from five years ago that was never popular <laughs> right until someone picked it up on tiktok for one very particular part mm-hmm. and so i wonder how much of that is now like bands are going oh we need to have that weird part in the song so we can be the ones in the videos yeah hmm. thinking about a song in 30 second parcels kind of yeah, it could be. That Sleep Token record, if you haven't listened to it, I, I think it is like the best encapsulation of ADHD music I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life, where it's like one song will not stay on anything for longer than a minute. Huh. I always leave these uh, recording sessions with like a list of references that I usually don't make it to half of them. But, uh, <laughs> what did you say that was? The Sleep Token song, I believe, is The Summoning, and the Ghost song is Mariana Cross. So... Uh, Going back to the track and the specifics in there, I really, again, I love this song. It's very closely, I prefer track one, but this one's right there with it. And uh, one of the things I love, which, you know, maybe I'll say this and you guys are like, Darvel, that's in so many songs that you listen to. It's not a big deal. But I love the getting over it now because it's a pickup, like after beat three is where it starts. But I feel like typically when you have a pickup, it like is leading into the one where this doesn't lead into the one. It just kind of trickles into the next bar. And it's it's kind of like it's a it jumped the gun in a way where it's like, oh, we weren't supposed to start that soon. But I feel like it works so well with this song, especially with what you were saying, James, with the arrangement of kind of keeping it interesting. And I I just love that. It's awesome. No, that's, that's a good observation. I yeah. I I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's like a a, a good it keeps it. It kind of gives it a sense of like moving forward. Cool, cool. I, another note here. I was curious if uh, you know how much of the sound was influenced by Willow. You know, coming into this sound and being like, "This is the sound I want to create. I love this sound." Versus how much is you know, working with the producer that's like, we should go this direction. And, um, but I did watch some live performances, you know, the, on YouTube and, uh, she does in this song where you have like the harmonizing guitar solo at the end. That's her, most of the performance, she's just on vocals, but she picks up the guitar there and, uh, is soloing, hmm. uh, at the end. And I just think that's cool. And I think, we mentioned like authenticity before too, like the fact that she has learned to play guitar and is playing solos on stage and stuff. I feel like that really helps my opinion of her using this kind of style of music. Yeah. And on that note also, like uh, as much as I might nitpick guitar stuff, I think I have to also say like, I am 100% happy that like, popular music has guitars in it again like because there was like a solid like eight year stretch where that there just wasn't 
like guitars weren't a thing on the charts. Like, like in the, yeah. they just weren't like guitar driven music. Wasn't what was popular. Like I even, my sister-in-law, she and her husband own a school of rock in Kansas city. And like, she confirmed this. And then another friend of ours has a son who's kind of learning bass drums, all these different instruments. And like the idea of like the cool guitar player up there being cool, playing guitar, like kind of lost its purchase for a while. Like that wasn't a thing. Like you'd even, you know, back in the day, like in the nineties, how many singers would just like wear a guitar because it was cool and they wouldn't maybe would never play it, you know? And like I, that kind of went away for a while. So I'm, I'm absolutely glad that like guitar driven music is, is, is back again. That's cool. I was going to bring that up. So I'm glad you did. It's funny when we're always like, oh, this is just a five-track album. This will be a short one. (laughs) Never works out that way. So, again, I'm going to complain about each one of these, but (laughs) you're a stranger. You are. Part of my frustration is, like, as a creator, I mean, I want my stuff to be accessible. And so if someone were to, you know, walk through a bar and hear me, you know, be like, oh, I really like that song they were playing... And he mentioned it's called You're a Stranger. I'm going to go up and, you know, I'm going to go look that up later. I'm not going to type in you are, <laughs> you know, add the greater than less than signs around stranger. And anyway, I just, I don't get it. I'm not cool enough for that stuff. <laughs> James, what did you think of this one? This was the first time that, like, the lyrics just, like, made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> this, is the, this is the first time. She used to be mine, now she's yours, and that's fine. Very similar to another lyric coming up on another song. And then rhyming angry with shady and lady. And then not having a two-syllable word, so just saying me, me. To uh, It's just, oh, the lyrics are terrible. That's the part I was talking about. Like, all that said, the track itself is good. So. I, uh, this one is one where it's like, the least ya could do instead of like the least you could do. It's like just like a bizarre way of saying things that like she doesn't do on the album and she doesn't talk that way. It's like a just specific to live performance. She does this kind of affect. Um, it's you're talking about rhyming. And I was talking to Julie the other day about like, I hate the song complicated by Avril Lavigne. And it's specifically for that reason that like, like the song itself, whatever it's, it's fine. But like trying to be cool, you look like a fool. I was like, this sounds like an (laughs) anti-drug like skit from fourth grade. (laughs) Like you're watching your back. Like you can't relax. Like it's very clunky, basic rhyme stuff. Like I, yeah, it, it is kind of, you, you have to almost, I don't even want to say, I guess you'd call it like cliche would be like the way to describe it. But yeah, it's like very, uh, you know, when people are like 
making fun of rap and they're like my name is joey and i'm here to say like it's kind yeah. of that that style <laughs> of rhyming you know <laughs> i don't have much to say about this song i i mean i like it it's a uh, of the five is probably one of my least favorites but i still like it but yeah that uh it's the the me's where she just says me a few times mm-hmm. it's just like i feel like you could put that in any muse album which it's unfortunate but Stephanie Myers ruined Muse for me. <laughs> I used to love them, but once she, I don't know, it's one of those things where it's like when someone not cool says they love something, it's like, I feel like I can't love it as much anymore. And not that she's not cool, but you know, Twilight gets so much hate. Stephanie Myers, it's just, I can't do it anymore. So th- I found out the most delightful Stephanie Myers fact today. And this might today. make you feel better. Th- t- literally today. I was I was telling Megan about this. So apparently she was uh, influenced a lot. I'm hold on, I'm, pu- I'm pulling it up right now to make sure I get this quote right. Apparently she cited My Chemical Romance as a huge influence in the writing of the Twilight novels, hmm. and was like a um, you know very into them and all this stuff and everything. So when the movies were being produced for Twilight, and they were like you know we have to have a soundtrack to go along with this like who do you want to do it she was like i want my chemical romance to do this and so she approached my chemical romance and they were like no (laughs) (laughs) and that in and of itself would be pretty funny but then on their next album they wrote a song called vampire money (laughs) and the song vampire money is talking about all all about how like uh you know, people sell out to studios and get like real full of themselves, but it doesn't matter because they got that vampire money. And they even have a uh, a reference in here: "Glimmer like Bolin in the morning sun." <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine how terrible it would feel if your all-time favorite band wrote a song about <laughs> how bad you were? Like, I'm just like imagining like the band you worship is like here comes our next song it called it's called Joey sucks and like <laughs> <laughs> oh and then here it is here's another one sparkle like Bowie in the morning sun and get a parking violation in Labria till it's done absolutely delightful like just raise my my appreciation of my chemical romance to a whole new level hearing this Seriously. story so. Yeah, I'm going to go dig into that song later. That's awesome. Oh, one last thing about this song. This this happened, the first song, you could say the same thing. I do like this song uses a lot, the, the chords, but also the notes that she utilizes in her vocal melodies. A lot of major seven and major nine stuff, I think is really cool. Even in that thing you referenced, and maybe it's my fault, that vocal melody, that that high note a lot of times is the seventh of the chord, which is like, one, kind of difficult to do when you're singing, to land there instead of accidentally landing on the the tonic of the chord. Um, But it's also pretty uh, unusual for alt rock. So I I think that's a pretty cool thing. You hear a lot of the major seven chord just throughout this album there's a lot of them on that particular melody too i think that's what makes the melody so intriguing is that it doesn't act as a leading tone mm-hmm. 
it's just kind of floating yeah it's a really deceptive writing he might say mm-hmm. do you guys uh i mean i know she screams in the outro which i imagine you hate but uh as far as just that last like 15 seconds with the guitar wailing and drums going does that do anything for you guys or is that just kind of like generic that stop nothing impressive there nothing unique i think it's good i think it's solid like i think it's a, a good way to end the song i guess i thought it felt a little unearned a little out of place oh yeah but it's such a brief portion of it and, and like this is my least favorite song on the album so yeah i think again for me it just goes back to like i i don't enjoy that style of music like that's kind of like neighbor music for me where i'm like I'll listen to it like we'll hang out but I'm not going to choose you but again it's like I just keep dropping my jaw every now and again to be like Willow Smith rocks harder (laughs) than I do get uh next track hover like a goddess all caps goddess (laughs) i didn't hear you say it capitalized enough (laughs) hover like a goddess (laughs) there you go so joey how do you feel about the uh guitar tones at the beginning of this song i like it i mean like i like the whole like okay. police vibe of this song, like the, with the like oh, yeah. reggae bass and the kind of gets stabby guitar. It's I think is a cool I song. Hearing, I was getting like strokes guitar there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. I would say the at the beginning of the album that where James was saying he didn't like it so much. The guitars are like strokes guitar. There's there's a lot of that throughout this whole EP. That kind of you know just eighth notes, sixteenth notes, whatever you want to call it. Um, no, I, I like the the reggae bass throughout this whole song. Is like a boom 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 mm-hmm. boom 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 boom. Like I think is a is cool. I also did note maybe out of any song in this whole album, I have no idea what she's saying in this song for the most part. Like it is <laughs> incomprehensible to me. I got the oh 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 oh, but yeah, <laughs> other than that, I don't know much. Though never be fine if you won't be mine. There you go, James. <laughs> It, it's so lazy the first time it happens and then when it came back on this track i was like come on <laughs> like <laughs> I, I don't know um yeah i like the the up-tempo kind of ska stuff uh, early no doubt this is like the first time i saw that kind of comparison yeah yeah not quite as funky but still had that kind of up-tempo thing i think the police is a really good comparison yeah that's a really good place to land on i liked the use of momentum on this track about how they, they were like using it kind of like a water tap or would just be on and off. I thought that was a neat way to keep it from getting to when you listen to a lot of ska music, you know, it gets very repetitive as it's having those breaks, like literally we were just, and again, you know, <laughs> I thought it made it uh, more enjoyable to listen to. That's funny. You mentioned that about ska. My, one of my best friends, like Scott is his music completely. And I always talk about how, like, I love ska for, like, four tracks. And then 
I can't touch it again for like a month because it's just too much of the, the same. I was very disappointed that Ska Chord never caught on. I thought that was like the funniest thing to come out of the like the emo revival hardcore genre. It's so funny hearing like these like trombones and trumpets being like <laughs> I uh some more notes for me here. I mean, I'll have to find this quote because I like ska. I listen more than four tracks of it. I do enjoy it a lot. I think maybe because I'm a trumpet player also that like kind of, that's my in. Um, I think that there's a quote that uh, I saw on Twitter that I think encapsulates it. It's a, he says like, uh, ska is what plays in a 13 year old boy's head when he finds out his mom got extra pizza rolls. And like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, that, that's it. That nailed it. Like that's exact. Sometimes that's exactly what I want to listen to. <laughs> and that's my friend. So that makes sense <laughs> so much. Why that's his genre of music. But going back to what you said though, James, I, that interlude is really interesting where like, you know, a minute into the song, it just cuts out and goes into this a lot of what the next track sounds like and uh i remember when i stumble into it i'm like oh what are we doing here and i'm worried that like the rest of the song is gonna go that direction but then it's so effective just those drums picking it right back up and jump like you said that tap just oh we're back on all right here we go and yeah i love it i also think that this is one of the stronger vocal performances on the record as a whole even though it does have a little bit of the, the mush mouth that like, I feel like she's most comfortable when she's just belting yeah. and there's a lot of that on this song. And it, it sounds again, very authentic, very organic in the genre of music to have vocals of that delivery, but she still has kind of like a pop element to it, which makes it, you know, stand out from the normal ska fair. So I, I think, and I, I think what you just said is very true about like her voice is best when she's kind of belting it out like this. And I think, or I would have to guess that is because to sing that way requires a certain amount of like diaphragm and air support. And a good singer knows like it takes that kind of support for all kinds of singing. But I think what you were saying, like the kind of lilting, mumbly, drunk, type thing i think it's it's a lot of that sound is because it's kind of unsupported uh and then when we get into the next track you hear it a little bit too where like she's she's hitting all the notes but like there's a fundamental difference between her singing it versus erica badu or jill scott or someone like that you know where there's like a a support to it that isn't there all the time when she's singing in a more soft type of of vocal yeah another great track aside from you know this is just kind of where the album falls for me is it's like if i'm in the car just enjoying it and it's i'll never be fine if you won't be mine not just the rhyme that you mentioned but just the like there's there's nothing really behind this for me like <laughs> different phases of life yeah <laughs> Very 
big switch from the other four. So I have a question because I realized people have different definitions. What do you think to call something a mashup? What do you think that is and isn't? For me, a mashup is where you take the two songs, but you like overlap them. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't call this a mashup because you're putting the two songs next to each other. Mm Kind of, I mean, even if there was a little bit of overlap and then they bled into it, but anyway, that's, that's my take. I famously think of like the pitch perfect kind of Mm -hmm. mashups where it's like Mm -hmm. the songs or glee where they like go over each other. Uh, This to me is kind of like when you're doing like a jazz jam and someone starts out playing autumn leaves and then like slowly slides into misty or something, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like, I, I'd never mashup was not a word that came to mind listening to this. Well, yeah. So the, the reason I ask is I remember when mashups were kind of first getting real big in like 2006, seven, eight. And in my head, like mashup meant like you could take the vocal melody and put it on top of the music from this other thing or, or like a truly like combined thing. And then Glee, you know, like you mentioned, like they had their mashup episodes, but a lot of times what they were doing is they just take the chorus from one song and add it to the verses of a different song. Like there was, you never really mixed them together all that much. It wasn't like singing one thing on top of the other. It was more like intermingling. And I've heard, so a lot of the reviews of this EP refer to this track as a mashup. And I I would say, yeah, like they're taking two songs that have similar feels and putting them next to each other. So I, I was just kind of curious how y'all define that because I've realized people have different definitions of, of mashup. Yeah, I agree with you. And I did not know. And, you know, again, looking at this title, I would assume it's two different songs in one. However, you know, her use of slashes and the characters <laughs> and stuff, I, I wasn't sure. So I did have to do some research there to determine that, yes, it is pieces from two different songs next to each other which were either of you familiar with the because bag lady is a cover were you familiar with that original song i was familiar with it i, I did have to go l- listen to it again because i i like arabic erica badu and funnily enough this is another you know this is live at electric lady the last one we talked about had pino paladino and Questlove. that's who plays bass and drums on the erica badu version of this song hmm. So little connection there, but also it's actually kind of relevant because I think a key difference between the original one and this one is that the original one has a groove. It's got Pino Palladino grooving on bass and Questlove like creating this pocket. The cover is pretty static. It doesn't have much of a a groove to it, which I think is a detriment to the song a little bit. Yeah, I I didn't really get why this track was included. <laughs> it, it doesn't fit with the rest of the songs. And I think that Split is a much better song in its original form than this was. So I agree with that. I was, I was going to mention that. I just didn't know if you guys had listened to the album version. Yeah, and I think that's why people were calling it a mashup. Because it's like, what if we took this song Split? split but made it sound like a neo soul song instead of its original form and then put it up next to this other neo soul song 
Um, and the answer is they're both worse. Yeah, yeah I think so. Well, <laughs> I, I think a problem with that, though, I think a problem is, so one, re, besides for the lack of a groove thing, another kind of key difference between the her cover of Bag Lady and like other, I would say, real Neo Soul is the guitar does not do Neo Soul guitar stuff at all, which is a very distinct guitar style of playing. Uh, lots of hammered on chord extensions and kind of almost like Jimi Hendrix, but like with a much more advanced chord vocabulary. And the the guitar in her Bag Lady cover is pretty basic. Like it's very simple chords for the most part. And I think that also is what removes a little bit of the song's complexity somewhat. As I listened to this, when I first listened to it, I was like, ah, oh, bummer, wish this song wasn't <laughs> on here, <laughs> like for for having on this podcast. And then as I was like, okay, well, I went for it. Let me listen to it, try to get something from it, you know, and it's, I brought it up before. Slow songs are hard for me. I really got to put some focus and attention on them to find the stuff that I appreciate. And every time with this song, I'd be like, okay, let me spend some time with this. I'd get distracted and I'd be like, oh yeah, let me get back to the song. And it was over. And I was like, well, all right, <laughs> on to the next thing. But yeah, I, I agree with you, James. I don't feel like it fits on this. It's, it seems like a strange choice. And then when I went into like what this was exactly, like, you know, the two songs put together, I didn't even realize that the last half was split from the album. I also didn't know that song too well from the album, but especially like, when you hit the chorus on the album, completely different sounding. Now it does though. So it actually, the timing works out really conveniently because this is a two minute song and it's like right at one minute, it switches to split. And the first 30 seconds of split is almost identical to the album version. But then the album version picks up and goes somewhere that I really enjoy. Um, where this one kind of stays with the same thing and just goes into the chorus with the same feel, you know, which is nice. But, you know, the album is a three minute, 20 song where here we're just getting the one minute without that change. And then it felt like they took that and then we're like, well, let's take Bag Lady and kind of keep the same guitar with a little bit more intricate with some of the stuff you mentioned, Joey, with the stuff. But yeah, again, it's like, they only took the first minute of bag lady and it didn't have the groove. And yeah, anyway, just a very strange choice for me to even perform these two songs together this way. And then especially on, I, mean, I don't know anything about electric lady, but knowing that this would be put together as a package with these five. And again, these are her five singles from the album. I would have much rather heard split performed as done on the album than this version. Well, and, and on that point, I think, so one of two things, if you want to include this, either put this as track three, so you get a little bit, to showcase a little bit of your vocal prowess, you get a little bit of a palate cleanser, and then you have your two bops on the way out. Um, and then maybe move, maybe it's my fault to track five instead of track one, two, to have a stronger closer. Or keep this where it is and do all of split mm-hmm. and have a good ending to the, to the set list. But yeah, the, 
the parts they included don't make sense with the rest of it. It's not a bad song, and I would rather listen to this than You're a Stranger. Because um, I, I really didn't enjoy that one. But, um, yeah. I think... Bizarre. I, I do have to guess i have no proof of this that these that this song when i say this song i mean these two songs back to back were included as like a little bit of a are intended to be a kind of a show-off song like look it's not just rock she can do she can do neo soul erica badu stuff too see but i think the problem is like well i if she can these songs don't necessarily convince me of that because I think, yeah, like y'all just said, like she doesn't really get into either of them enough to really demonstrate like full competency doing it. And it is kind of this weird like drive-by thing. There you go. Maybe they were rushed for putting this together and they didn't quite have split down <laughs> for the live version. <laughs> so they were like, <laughs> I, I don't imagine that's just <laughs> but... Yeah, it, it's an odd way to close the album for sure. I do think if they had this as is as track three, I don't know if I would have made it to track four other than it is short. So I might have. But yeah, well, there we go. Willow, all caps, <laughs> live at Electric Lady. 2023, even though these are all songs from their 2022 album. I'll, uh, I'll get it right at one point. Any... uh final thoughts on the album i could see how definitely see why someone would really love this like that is not hard for me to understand like i and i think overall it's pretty good like i i I never minded listening to this album i think like there's some parts i actually really quite like a lot i think i think i'd probably across the board listen to the studio versions of all of these rather than this ep uh, there is like you said the reason you picked it the, the convenience factor is nice in that like it's a little sample sample platter but i i could easily in fact the playlist i was listening to to prep for this episode was like this ep and then all of these same songs but from the studio all on the same playlist to kind of like get used to hearing them and, and and so it's like i think going forward i might just delete the ones from the EP off the playlist and just keep listening to the ones from the studio. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I think this album is like a seven out of 10 and just looking at the track list again, it's like there are three and a half songs I like here. So that's appropriate. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I think maybe it's my fault. Curious Spirits and hover like a goddess are all extremely solid tracks. Um, but I agree with Joey. The studio versions are better. And yeah. Yeah. going forward, I would probably also listen to the studio versions. I, I do think that it was interesting to pick this after the Yeba, where Yeba said, I'm going to take all these songs from my studio album and do them in a completely different way. To have an artist go, I'm going to take the songs from my studio album and do them exactly as they are in the studio. And I feel like missed the mark, maybe a little bit in trying to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I liked the songs i like being introduced to them in this kind of like live format i'm pleasantly surprised the studio versions are better and would recommend you're pleasantly surprised the studio ones are better yeah because i found them after i just i mean i don't know that's an interesting statement like i would assume that the studio versions would be better but 
you're surprised by that? Well, I mean, a good example is like the Yeba ones. I don't think any of the studio versions are as good as the ones from the the Electric Lady EP. So it is kind of interesting that in this one, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, I was just curious if like that's kind of the standard is that the live performance, the recordings tend to be better than the studio ones. But So I think that um, in heavier genres in general, there is energy in live recordings a lot of times that make live recordings exciting. There, mm. Live versions of albums for heavier genres aren't like live versions of albums for something like jazz, where it's like, well, I've got to listen to this album that they played at this place because it had this solo by this person, and that's the only way to hear it. It's the same song, but it's going to be either faster because of adrenaline or it's going to be, you know, you're have the crowd noise mixed in with it. So so that's kind of my thing. I, I love, for instance, Coheed's Live at the Starlin Ballroom record. I listen to that all the time, um, which I think was only when they had Second Stage and uh, In Keeping Secrets out. But I liked the versions of those songs better than some of the studio recordings. So I, I, one way to interpret this is that your surprise was more of a result of she's not as good live as she is in the studio. Is that, is that the wrong way to take that? I guess the other, my thinking too comes from, I think it's because I don't consider myself like a like polished artist. And so like for myself, I sound way better from the studio because I can fix my mistakes. <laughs> I can find like, oh, I've been singing. I'm, I haven't been hitting these notes when I sing this song. Let me do it the right way on my eighth try on this track where when I go live, it's just kind of like, this is raw. You're going to get what you get. And uh, I mean, we have some live recordings that I really wish weren't out in the world, but <laughs> it's what it is. But at the same time, I would, I feel like people would enjoy being, you know, in the room with me performing live than listening to the studio album. Like I get that element of it, but I think that's where my assumption that live recordings aren't going to be as good as the studio recordings, but I understand where with what you're saying, kind of that higher level of musicianship and artistry that uh, you can get things out in live recordings that you're not going to find in the studio. Yes. Am I on the right track at all? Yeah. And, and also, like, again, I think there's something to be said about trying to replicate everything. There, there are bands that do this in ways that I think are not good. Uh, one example I could think of off the top of my head is Bring Me the Horizon. They had a song on uh, Post Traumatic that they did with the artist Baby Metal, in which Baby Metal sings most of the song. And when they perform that song live, they just play the track, and the singer <laughs> for Bring Me the Horizon just kind of dances around on the stage and acts like a hype man. It's it's very weird. That's not something I want to experience at a concert. Um, and, <laughs> and listening to a live recording of that is not going to do anything for me. But I do think there are instances where there are bands that I was never able to see live that I was able to listen to a live record of. And I got a little bit of the magic from that live recording. Well, and I think another thing is like for any given live album, you can usually figure out a reason. Why is this live album? Why is this live album? Like maybe it's like, Oh, 
this music is so technically complex. This live album, live album is proof they can do it live. You know, like for example, a Dream Theater live album. It's not. It's very much the same as the studio one. Like they play all the same notes and stuff. But it's like, wow, they can really play this. Like that's cool. Um, or you get some like you say, we're like, man, they're just like hyped up. Like what a cool energy. And like I'm gonna get to kind of pretend like I was there. Or oh, the, the crowd sings on this one, and that's cool. Or 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 even just commercially, like the live, they played all their best songs across ten albums, so I don't have to listen to those. Now I can just listen to this live al- live album. I think maybe that's the purest case for this album because I wouldn't know. What is other than being at this historic place, Electric Lady Studios, which is a very cool place, the draw of this album, the only thing you can maybe say is that it pulls these handful of songs together because I don't think, yeah, I think it's like, well, why would, why wouldn't I listen to the studio one? Like, I, I thought by nature of this existing, maybe there was something special about these recordings. And realizing like, well, no, I don't, I'm maybe not, you know. That's it. No, that's a great point. I, I'm glad two of the things you said in there, I, I really want to highlight. The first was you mentioned the crowd singing and it, one of my favorite live albums of all time is the uh, Iron Maiden live at Rio. Mm-hmm. And when they play fear of the dark, the crowd sings the guitar <laughs> part in the opening <laughs> blind guardian and, live it, album. They sing all the guitar parts. And it, it, it's just, it's super cool to hear this, like, this, like, kind of, like, plucked guitar part become this kind of, like, haunting chorus and, like, oh, it's like, oh, that's a weird sound. Um, but I, I hadn't considered what you said just now that, like, yeah, there, there wasn't an audience here. So why does this exist? That, that's that's where, not, yeah. So I... I don't know that I've ever listened to a live album other than this. And the only reason I appreciate this is because it was perfect for me choosing for the podcast. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have chosen the studio album because of, I just wanted the singles. And so, and in, I guess in my head, because I've seen, you know, bands that I enjoy hop on Spotify, they have live albums. I guess for me, it's like the main reason this exists is to have another like, content yeah like, hey look at us here's a live album it's like why would i listen to this when i could just go listen to the studio one so it's interesting hearing what value there is or the value that's there for live albums when they're done that way i think this one might fall fall in that category of hey look we played it electric content. lady here's our singles yeah i mean aside from the last song Except that one, as we discussed, we weren't happy with the changes there. So, yeah. But Willow, thank you for doing this for the podcast. I'm sure this is very high on her priority list to listen to. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I think we'll just like uh, My Chemical Romance gave us a uh, vampire money. I'm pretty sure this will have a heavy influence on Willow's next project. And she's going to come out with a track that's like album, book club, percent sign, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) 